Hello, and welcome to another edition of Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. I'm Gib Gerard, right alongside none other than John Tesh. How you doing? Good to be with you. Excited about this interview. I am too. Our guest this week is Reshma Saujani. Now, she she is the founder. you got to go online and look at her TED Talk. I'll put a link to it in the... Uh, in the show notes. She's the founder of Girls Who Code, and she is the author of a new book called Brave Not Perfect, but her bona fides go way back. She is a graduate of Harvard. She's a graduate of Yale Law School. Uh, we're going to talk to her about the importance of uh, especially bringing up our little girls with the notion of being brave instead of trying to be perfect all the time because do you know what STEM is? Science, technology, engineering, mathematics? Sure, yeah. So what happens is girls actually outperform boys in STEM all the way up until college, and then there is a real drop-off um, and in fact, I mean, they, they outperform them through uh, up till college and they really start to decline starting in junior high. So she has used coding as a way of giving girls confidence to stay in STEM and also to get used to being, you know, you know, the, the Silicon Valley adage fail fast. Yeah, sure. And yeah. She uses yeah. coding to teach to teach girls in particular, but kids in general, how to um, how to how to embrace that mindset of making a mistake correcting it and moving on. So I'm really, I don't, I don't want you to give it away, but I'm really intrigued by the fact that it drops off like that. I would think it, that they would just does. power right through. It, you, would, you would think that, but, it, but it, the, the numbers are, uh, do not show that. And, and she talks about how it's not, you know, there's a lot of cultural forces that push on that. And so as the father of daughters, uh, I was very excited to talk to her and was very satisfied with, with my conversation with her. And I think if, if for any of you that know little girls or, uh, or at one point were a little girl, this is a great interview for you to listen to about how to, embrace, how to embrace failures. Uh, she had a big failure in her life, uh, 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 Rashmi Saljani did, when she ran for Congress and failed miserably. So um, th- that was sort of her impetus for starting this. Was, She's probably was, happy that it, she did fail. At this <laughs> point, I'm pretty point. sure she is. Yeah. So tell me, if a, if a dad or a mom or a grandparent wanted to listen to this podcast, what, what, what age would you say would be the starting age? Seven, I eight? I mean, or? you know, you can never get too soon, and it's never too late. So if you have – I have a five- and a seven-year-old, and I found it to be fascinating. If you have a three-year-old, you, sh- you, you could listen to this and, and start implementing some of this stuff right away. Okay, let's warm you up with a couple of quick bits that you can share with your friends and family members. So this is for parents and grandparents. Experts are saying, don't go crazy. Don't despair if your toddler throws their applesauce on the ground or smears their high chair with spinach and – sweet potato puree okay. because apparently giver messy eaters learn more and they learn quickly this is from the university of iowa they concluded that toddlers are better able to learn language when they play with their food and psychology professor larissa samuelson and her team studied how 16 month old children learn words for foods so it turns out the toddlers who played with their food the most they were more likely to correctly identify those foods by their texture and then name them i mean then my kids are going to be geniuses because because <laughs> there, stuff on the walls. There is just I mean I don't, sometimes I don't even know how it gets so far from the kitchen. How it is there? How does food end up in the hallway from the kitchen because they're just <laughs> flinging their spoons all over the place? They're telling me stories and stuff is going all over. And then uh, so, uh, my middle daughter is uh, she's very sensitive to stuff on her hands. And so if her hands get sticky as she's playing with food, she, like, screams and makes me clean her hands, which yeah, is fine. Yeah. But then two minutes later, her hands are in the food again, and I feel like this is encouraging, but also she needs to either wear gloves at dinner or just embrace <laughs> the mess. <laughs> well, she's going to be a genius, apparently, according to this, this study from the University of Iowa. Also, if you want your little kids or grandkids to do something, experts are saying just get the help of Elmo there's something, oh, yeah. and, and you know, because you know this in your house, there's something about Elmo that resonates with kids. So researchers at Cornell, they studied 200 kids between mm-hmm. the ages of 8 and 11. They had the option of having the cookie, the uh, kids did, of having a cookie or an apple as a snack. 
Of course, most kids chose the cookie. Well, obviously, they're human beings. Right, but then researchers offered the same cookie or apple, but this time the apple came with a sticker of Elmo on it, Ooh. and twice as many kids chose the apple. Oh, yeah. Why is that? Well, it's the power of branding, first of all. But uh, Elmo, El- look, any kind of toy... But if you stuck, stuck Batman on there, they wouldn't do it, probably. I, I, I mean, maybe. Yeah. I, I don't know. Your, your son would. My son would go for Batman yeah. in a heartbeat, or Spider-Man, it would be all over. But there's, researchers say there's just something special about so, Elmo. So Elmo's great. Elmo is the Sesame Street, for those. he's the red Sesame Street Muppet monster, and he is a monster that represents the age group of the kids watching the show. So he's like a, he's supposed to be a four-year-old-ish uh, monster in that world. So he, he embodies the voice of the kids that are watching the show, and, um, and my kids go nuts for him, and it, there, there, there is a reason why he is so successful. He's very, it's very easy to empathize with Elmo for the So kids. do you have to have Elmo on the TV, or can you just do the voice? I, know I mean, I, oh, I, can, I, can do, I do the voice all the time. You're like, uh, Elmo thinks you need to brush your teeth right now. <laughs> I'm going to eat your vegetables. And, 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 and I wish you could see Gibbs' face right now. <laughs> well, I have look, to like squeeze you, my vocal cords. You look closed. like it, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it looks yeah. like I'm trying. It looks like I'm. Looks like I'm trying not to, uh, what to if hold myself. You sound a little, 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 little like uh, Howie Mandel and uh, Bobby. Well, he does, but it's, yeah. a, but it's the yeah. same technique. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's just. Uh, Emma wants you to turn the TV off right now and go to bed. I, just, <laughs> I do that all day long, and if I do it from another room, my two-year-old freaks out and he'll he'll run. Now, you, stuff. listen. Will you just do me a favor? Will you go? Like, let's leave here. And let's just go to a sports bar, and I want you to talk to a girl. <laughs> just sit there the whole time, order a drink. Hey, can I get a Miller Light? What do you have on tap? Uh, I'm sorry, sir. Yeah, can I just get some onion rings? Okay, okay. Take a, a shot of Jameson? <laughs> Oh, my gosh. All right, I forgot. We were getting ready to do an interview. Why did yes. well, you set this up? Appropriately, we just talked about parenting, and here is Reshma Saujani to tell you about why bravery in our kids, especially our girls, is more important than perfection. Reshma Saujani, thank you so much for being a part of our podcast. I hope you're doing well today. I'm doing great, Gib. How are you? I'm, you know, I'm doing okay, and I'm really, really excited to be talking to you right now because, of, uh, well, because I, I have daughters, and uh, I am I am so on board with a lot of what you espouse and and girls who code is something that that uh, has come across my desk and it's something that that is important. You're the obviously point out for those of you that don't know, you're the founder and CEO of Girls mm-hmm. Who Code. Uh, you've also also written your new book. What is it? it's it's brave, not perfect. How to fail yep. more, care less, and live bolder. And um, I, I just I'm very excited to get to have an opportunity to talk to you about some of the stuff you espouse. So, can we first talk about uh, Girls Who Code, uh, what it is, and why you started it? Sure. So, it's a movement to close the gender gap in computer science and technology. I always seem like a weird person to have started that movement because I'm not a coder. You know, I was terrified of math and science growing mm. up, and I ended up running for office when I was 33 years old and I would go into schools and go into robotics classes and computer science classes and I wouldn't see any girls. Mm. And so when I lost, I said, okay, what's the one issue that I can work on, you know, that I think can create opportunity for girls, like getting them into technology was it. And so um, I started an organization called Girls Who Code and we started with providing free summer programs uh, seven-week courses that we embedded in technology companies uh, to rising juniors and seniors in high school in the hopes that they would go on to major or minor in computer science. And it worked. And uh, we now run 80 of those across the country, you know, in 11 different cities. And every company from Facebook to Twitter to Sephora to AT&T to Adobe to BlackRock, right? 
every company that is like looking desperately for female talent, uh, we help kind of close the gap there. And then we run after school programs across the country. We almost have about over almost 5,000 after school clubs. And those are for third graders on up. They're also free and they're in every single state. And they happen in community centers, in public schools, in churches, in synagogues, right? Girls everywhere are kind of gathering to learn about computer science. And so, okay, so if that that's a, clearly it's a problem and it's good that you're that you're solving it. Why why is it a problem? Like in order to solve it, you have to understand why are girls not getting into coding? Um, because clearly that's, you know, if anybody looking around would see that's where the jobs of the of, of the next generation are or the current generation, at least. Uh, so why aren't, why aren't they, why, why do they need you? <laughs> yeah, it's a great question. Well, and that's the, the other, you know, interesting thing about this is that, you know, it wasn't always this way. So like in the 1980s, Gib, if you had walked into any computer science class or Ada Lovelace, for, yes, Ada Lovelace, the ENIAC women, I just read, read this amazing book about Hedy Lamar. Like there were women in computer science. In fact, they were the original pioneers mm-hmm. And then in the 80s, when, you know, the personal computer came out and, you know, tech companies started becoming popular and making more money, you really saw this cultural shift. And you saw it first happen in kind of television and movies, you know, weird science where you saw the growth of the programmer, right? The the guy in a hoodie sitting in a basement somewhere. And girls got turned off and they started getting it in their heads that, you know, this is not for them, that technology is a boy's thing, that math and science is a boy's thing. And you slowly, slowly, slowly saw the numbers decline to where we're at today, which is less than 18%. Crazy. And it, it baffles me, right? Like I often go to universities and I was like, wait, you saw this happen and you didn't notice it until 30 years later? But yeah, kind of, you know, like mm-hmm. it wasn't, it's almost like we woke up, you know what I mean? Uh you know, in, in 2010 again, and said, wait, wait a minute here, like what's happening and how do we do something about it? And I, I think, I think part of the problem with that too, is I, 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 I mean, I'm projecting here, but I was a math major. Uh, I, I hung out with STEM that, I mean, it's the M of STEM. So I, I, I was hanging out with other STEM majors all through college. And there is a certain element of meritocracy that you and I, and I think this is to the detriment that is embedded in the belief system. There, there's all of these, every STEM uh, course of study has what they call a weeder course. And it is a yeah. course that is designed to be extra difficult to get rid of STEM majors who are going to just gum up all of the upper division classes. Everyone has it. Every college has it. If you don't know about it, it means that you weren't in that world. But like whether it's, <laughs> whether it's multivariable calculus for math, whether it's um, even program, programming 101 at Princeton is the weeder course. Um, uh, or, uh, or organic chemistry for, for biochem and pre-med students. Like there's always a weeder course. So there is this baked in mentality that STEM is a true meritocracy, but clearly that's not the case. I mean, clearly, I think, I think the problem is that there, a lot of them are looking at it as that and missing maybe some of the more subconscious indicators that are being given and are keeping other people from wanting to join. Yeah. And listen, girls are outperforming boys in math and science up until college. Right. 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 And I think a lot of what happens, and this is what my book is about, is that, you know, girls at a very young age get it in their heads that they're either good at something or bad at something. Mm -hmm. You know, this little girl, uh, you know, I should say her mother won me in an auction and I had breakfast with Isabel and her mom. And, 
you know, her mom says to Isabel, well, honey, you're really good at math. And she's like, mom, I'm not good at math. And her mom's like, well, what are you talking about? You know, you do, you got an A. And she said, well, mom, you know, when we were in math class the other day, the teacher called on me and I didn't know the answer right mm. away. So I raised my hand and said I had to go to the bathroom instead. Ooh. And so if, yeah, and I'm sure you can relate to this with having daughters. It's that mentality that like, wow, if the answer doesn't come to me immediately, that means I'm not smart enough and I'm not good enough. And we back away from the challenge and we start doing that. And I think it is very gendered, right? Because we don't let our boys back away from challenges because we don't coddle them. We don't protect them. We're trying to kind of man them up right from the time that they're 30 months old. Hmm. And we're raising our daughters and we're raising our girls and our boys very differently. And you're having very different reactions to risk and failure because of the way that we've been raised and because of culture. Yeah, that that was going to be my question. So like, do you think that, I I don't mean, maybe, I mean, I I, I think I live in a a slightly, I'll say a a more progressive community. So I I don't see a lot of the, um, indoctrination of toughness and I don't see a lot of the uh of playing that down for girls in in my day-to-day life but I obviously like the the data would show that 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 is pervasive so do you think it's as much culture or parenting or both or where do you where do you think the main impetus lies for changing that mentality well, they're still young. Your, your children are still young. So I want to ask you, let's have this conversation again in a couple of years. Right. You know, uh, look, I think the thing is, is it's all of the above, right? It's the subtle things that we do. You know, I have a four and a half, a four-year-old son. And, you know, a while ago, my husband and I got in a fight about the nightlight. Mm-hmm. You know, Sean wanted to have the nightlight. I gave him the nightlight. And my husband wanted to take it away because uh-huh. he wanted to make him, quote, tough. Uh-huh. And we had to kind of look at each other. And I was like, Nahal, if Sean was a girl, would you let him have the nightlight? And he was like, oh, my God. Like, yeah, I would. So sometimes even in feminist households, right. there's things that we do, right, um, that are just so ingrained in how we were raised and how we were taught. That, that have real consequences and, and, and effects. Um, and I think, again, as, as the, it's just, it, I think fundamentally, even if you sit at the playground, you will notice like you're not for a lot, maybe you are, and that's amazing. And I hope you are. Maybe you're letting your daughters climb to the top of the monkey bars and just jump, jump. You know, maybe you're letting them have their booger in their nose and their breakfast on their shirt and not running to the, you know I mean? To the diaper bag to change them. Maybe you are in some ways raising them to be, exactly how they want to be but far too often we fix we coddle we protect our girls mm. and we don't do that to our boys and it's in subtle ways and not so subtle ways and then we start being conditioned to believe that like for you know that we need to be people pleasers that mm-hmm. we need to you know what i mean get accolades that we need to get that pat on that back and that our mindset is fixed yeah yeah well so i I have two very different girls. So my oldest would would climb, whether I told her not to and coddled her or not, she would climb to the top of the monkey bars and jump off and she would have a booger in her nose and dirt on her shirt. <laughs> like I, just, I, I have no say in any of that. Um, and my, and my, my uh, younger daughter, she, she is ingrained in her. I mean, from, from the beginning, she has this, she's very empathetic and very much of a, a people pleaser. And I wonder, um, I, I wonder how I can, how I can help direct my older daughter without having, without breaking that spirit. And then also encourage my younger daughter to be more, and and I know you're not a parenting psychologist, but I want to get your take, encourage my younger daughter to be more assertive without getting rid of her amazing empathy. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Your youngest daughter sounds like my son. Like Mm. my son is very cautious. 
He's incredibly empathetic. I ask him what his superpower is and he's like to help people. I'm mm-hmm. like, I love you. <laughs> but so me too. Like I kind of like, Sean, how do I get you to be a little bit more risk taking? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think again, part of that, you know, for your younger daughter is to put her in places where, you know, if she's getting frustrated because she can't figure something out right away, you let her sit with the uncomfortability and you don't let her walk away. Yeah. And yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm curious for your older daughter, what happens in a couple of years if she still have that spirit, right? right? Is she, is she, is, are people around her help, you know, tampering her down, help silencing her voice, right? Telling, you know, or is she allowed to continue to be that way? And I think it's amazing that she has, you know, two parents that are, that are allowing her to, to be how exactly she wants to be. I want to underscore, I don't have a choice. She is a very strong person. <laughs> um, but no, I think, I think, okay, so how do I then, then, I mean, for me and for every parent listening, how do we, you, you, you make this comment about how, uh, how girls outperform perform boys in STEM, how they have the, the same potential uh, for, for that, uh, for that, uh, for lack of a better word, we'll call it just, uh, a, a certain kind, type of aggressiveness or self-assertiveness. They have the same capacity for that self-assertiveness. What are we doing as parents to stop that? And how is awareness enough? Or or what are some first steps we can make to to start to combat that? Well, look, I think everybody says that the drop-off essentially happens in like middle school, hmm. like eight, seventh, eighth grade. So up until that point, girls don't have, they don't think that computers or math and science is necessarily quote a boy's thing. Now they do are influenced about, and I, I, you know, are influenced about whether they're good at it or bad at it, depending on how easy or hard it comes to them. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what you have to work on up until sixth, seventh grade, not letting them say, I'm getting an A in math, but I'm bad at it. Right. Right. Like really, really focusing kind of on that misnomer that they have. And that, and that also underscores me, like Angela Duckworth's, Angela Duckworth's grit, grit. and and, yep. uh, and the growth mindset in general, which I think we should do for all of our kids, regardless of gender, which is you want to encourage them to go through the hard obstacles, not to be, not to be dissuaded right. by them. And, and that right. hard work is better than having something come easy. All right, keep going. So that, that's first. And I, and I think part of the tactic there that I would say that I tell women to do too is Put them in something that they suck at, not that they suck at it and they're going to get better at it, but they're really just never going to be good at it. Like so for me, gymnastics, I'm just oh. not, you know what I mean? Like yeah. just really never, you know, but instead of taking your daughter out of that, maybe putting her into swimming or something that she'll uh-huh. excel at, keep her in the thing that she's mediocre at. So she knows what it feels like to be mediocre. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's really funny. We literally just had this conversation about gymnastics. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I, it's so it's so funny. So keep going. All right. So, so I think that that's one of the strategies I talk about in Brave Not Perfect, right? Is this idea of like keeping people in that thing that they suck at. Mm. Um, and then I think the older that they get, I, I, I do think what happens is this idea that all of a sudden this isn't cool anymore, and girls start paying attention to being popular, to like what's cool, what's not cool, what the other girls are doing, you know, and not wanting to be in places where boys are. And that's kind of the work that we always do at Girls Who Code is how do we make this interesting and relevant? Mm. So for a lot of girls, they're change makers, right? They care about what's, you know, they care about that people aren't recycling. They care about the girl that's mm-hmm. not getting bullied at school. They care about these things. And I think really connecting technology to the thing that they are empathetic and passionate about is really important. And so oftentimes, you know, what they learn about computer science in high school just isn't relevant to what they, what they care about. Right. Mm. Or, 
And so how do we make that connection? And that's something we need to do in changing the curriculum, which we were working on. And that's something we need to do, you know, uh, in, in, as a parent, I think, in making that connection for people. Your young women. Do you think that's? I mean, I feel like that. I mean, part a part of the the way the world is now, I think, is eroding some of that too, because I think we're starting to see that technology, or I'm ho- I'm hoping that people are starting to see that technology is, whether we like it or not, it is the foundation of almost everything. So whether you want to dig wells or um, uh, or you want to start a fashion business or you want to create a a medical de- uh, uh, a medical device. All of that requires at least a basic understanding of technology and computers at this point. Thousand percent. I wonder though if it's too conceptual for Burl. So I always say, like, I wish that I could figure out like the smoky eye of coding, right? <laughs> Every teenage girl will watch endless smoky eye videos. But what's something, right, that your daughter could build? And yeah. in the process of building it, she's like, oh, i.e. a Snapchat filter or whatever that is, right? right? Something right. that she uses every day and then she builds something to make the thing that she's doing actually easier, or, you know, better or whatever, more efficient. And that then, you know, basically is like, oh, this is coding, right? right? Like we need more of that. Something more impactful than just making a computer pink, right? So, which is yes. sort of the default for getting girls into things, which obviously doesn't, yeah. doesn't work. Yeah. But hey, like, you know, or getting the robot, like for, for a lot of, you know, you know, getting the robot to dance or like, you know, moving a spree, like these things are, you know, Minecraft has, you know, is, is essentially in many ways coding, right? So like, I think that there are things or games or tools that like, we need to just build more of that and do more of that. So, so bring that up. I think a lot of parents miss, uh, I want to go back to Minecraft, right? I think a lot of parents miss the connection between certain problem solving video games and the underlying skills required for coding. Yeah. Well, you know, coding at its core is computational thinking, right? You're, you're telling a computer what to do. Mm-hmm. You're learning how to get from position A, X to Y. And so anything that's making your mind think that way, I think is really good. It's helping you become technical. Um, and so I think video games provide that, right? Um, and so I think that they're good in help, helping teach kind of computational thinking, helping you enjoy computational thinking. So, okay. All right. So let's say we assume for a second that you're right, that, that there is some sort of underlying social problem that, um, that, is, cre- that is knocking girls out of STEM, right? Um, and let's, let's even go one step further and say that, um, we, that technology is an important, you know, everything in technology is sort of a necessary thing that needs, that needs more women in it. Uh, why, why girls who code, why use coding as, as the entree into technology? Why not, why not, uh, animal husbandry? Why not uh, mm-hmm. like biology and chemistry? Why, why is coding the, the path you chose? I think coding teaches bravery. And I think ultimately when you teach girls to be brave, they'll like take over the world. So, you know, the thing about coding is I think coding teaches like imperfection and failure, right? Mm-hmm. The annoying semicolons in the wrong way to do it over and over and over again. And, you and know, fail fast I, being like the Silicon Valley fail mantra. fast and not get frustrated. And I've seen it. I've seen girls who just learned how to code and all of a sudden, you know, they're telling Jack Dorsey that his, you know, back end of Twitter sucks, right? Like <laughs> they have this like incredible amount of chutzpah, right? Yeah. And confidence, 
you know, uh, I remember, you know, my husband's a, uh, you know, venture capitalist and he like forwarded me, you know, an email that a student had sent him saying, basically, you know, your wife has taught me to code and now you're going to give me a job at your firm. <laughs> like it was just so bold, yeah. right? She's like 16 years old. I'm like, oh, but that's, that's what we do. Right. Right. And I think coding helps do that. I think the other thing is, is that I do think that there's something powerful just about computational thinking, right? Mm -hmm. And in general, you know, whether you're learning about algorithms, whether you're learning about, you know, robots, whether you're learning how to build a website, whether you're learning about data science, right? Like it's a way of getting your brain to think. Mm -hmm. And I think regardless of what language you're going to use five years from now, or whether you're going to have robots do all of the back end, and all we need to do is really think about design, having that skill set, having that knowledge is going to make you a hundred miles ahead of everybody yeah. else. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah. So I, I, I got a lot, not to make it all about me, but I got a lot of pushback for being a, uh, a math major in college. Like, what are you going to do? You're going to teach math. You're going to be an actuary. You're going to do ta an accountant. And I, and I always said that like, I, it's really not about what I'm learning. It's about how I'm learning how to think because, mm -hmm. because math and, and by corollary, because for the, people forget this, for the most part, computer science departments started as sub-departments of math departments in, in universities across the world. So, um, I mean, you go back 60 years, that's, that's kind of, that's how it, how it arose. But this, um, uh, but that, that sort of pure logical thinking was for me the, like, that was why I thought it was a good major. And, and I, I, I don't use, like I don't need to know how smooth a curve is now in my in my daily life, but I do use the underlying syllogisms and the underlying logical concepts every single day. And I think yep. I think conveying that importance. I think coding, to your point, uh, I think coding does that in the same exact way because it is the same thing. You're you're just taking a bunch of if then else statements and 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 putting them in the right order with the right syntax. And it gives you confidence, right? I'm sure your whole life you're like, I'm a math major. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm smart. Yeah, it doesn't, it, doesn't, think... it doesn't have the impact you think it does. People always <laughs> <laughs> buying me drinks for that. Uh, well, I mean, and I, but I do think for girls in many ways, like learning how to do something that the world thinks is hard kind of right. like dims that voice in your head. Right. You know, I talk about my book, right, of that we all have as women that tells us that we're not smart enough and we're not good enough. And so what it unleashes in you, and that's one of the tactics I talk about in Brave Not Perfect too, which is like, learn how to do something technical. Mm -hmm. Like, I can't tell you, because I thought I wasn't good at math, you know, or science, when, when my son got a new toy and I read the instructions and I couldn't figure it out in 30 seconds, I would throw it to my husband. Right. Like, or if my phone went out, right? Like, it was like, I, it, I don't do that anymore. Like, I've learned how to be technical. Right. I've learned to basically sit with the instructions and figure it out and mm -hmm. not feel bad about myself in the process. Yeah, that's I mean, I, you, that's 100 percent. Like I think I think we we make these subconscious moves like that where you go, well, I don't. And, and, and you, I'm sure there's a thousand justifications for why you would toss it to your husband that you thought of before yeah. you think of it as, oh, no, this is this is a modeling that I need to do for my kids. Another thing that happens is is when your kids are taking hard classes. Don't say I hate that I hated that class because it was hard. Say like come up with things that you learned from taking that class. So I hear this with with parents like, oh my gosh, you know, so and so is taking algebra right now and I hated algebra. It's like, did you hate algebra or yeah. was it just hard so you, you you didn't try to understand the importance of it? Because computers are everywhere and algebra is just another way of expressing the underlying logic of computers. So 
you can't get away from algebra. Algebra is how your taxes are calculated. We all, we all need these kinds of things. But when you say you hate it, you give your kid permission to not like it. And that, that creates a whole subconscious way of them thinking that gets them away from going through those harder obstacles and may or may not keep them out of STEM. A thousand percent. Okay. A thousand percent. Go ahead. Sorry, you were agreeing with me and I interrupted. No, you. I was. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's totally true. And it's like, and, you know, it's it's okay to acknowledge that it was hard, but also like, I liked it hard. Like, I liked that challenge. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I liked that fear of like basically conquering something that I may not, you know, be amazing at. Yeah. Okay. So this is a, a perfect time to transition. You set yourself up really nicely. So your book is Brave Not Perfect, right? Mm-hmm. And I understand the underlying, okay, now we got that the coding is important. We understand why coding is the backbone for all technology, why the particular mechanics of coding are good for training uh, boys and girls, but particularly the girls that need it right now in that mindset. Why did you title your book Brave Not Perfect? And what does that mean? Yeah. So, you know, I did a TED Talk a, a few years ago and again, made this point that in society, it's like we teach our girls to be perfect and we teach our, our boys to be brave and mm-hmm. that it's really resulting in this kind of deficit that you see in leadership and, in, and essentially in our happiness. And like, it struck a nerve. Like I started getting emails from people all across the world, from dads, from moms, from people about like how it affected them. And I learned so much about almost every single woman I met or spoke with was struggling with perfectionism. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote the book in many ways to kind of say like, is there this thing? Do we teach our girls to be perfect and our boys to be brave? Mm -hmm. And if so, like, can we rewire our brains for bravery? And if we had more women kind of exercising everyday bravery, would our world look different? And I think the answer to all of those questions after, you know, I did my, I wrote my book is yes. Yeah. I mean, if everybody was a little bit braver and a little bit more of a risk taker, it would be. I mean, I I think think it starts with women. So what is the bravery mindset? Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, look, I think I think that the bravery mindset is that like we have to unlearn perfectionism and that for many women, basically sticking to things that they excel at or that make them feel confident and comfortable is kind of holding them back. Right. Because it's leading to a lot of regret and envy and kind of woulda, shouldas, right? And in mm-hmm. dreams that kind of die on the vine. Right. And it's also creating anxiety, right? Like women are, you know, women basically have much higher rates of anxiety. I think they're twice as likely to be kind of anxious or depressed than men. Um, and so I think that like, if you can unlearn perfectionism and you can basically learn how to be imperfect and learn how to be brave, we're just going to, you're going to live a better life. Why do you think it disproportionately affects girls to boys? I mean, I think it goes back again to the way that we're raised, right? And you can sit in a playground and watch that. Like we are wanting to immediately protect and coddle our girls. Mm-hmm. And so we don't allow them to experience or to feel rejection and failure, mm-hmm. right? Like I, I always say, you know, my son's swimming class, like when girls are learning how to swim, I'll just, you know, the parents are like, it's okay, honey. You know, you don't have to get your face wet. I mean, it's a swimming class. And I'm just watching like the moms, like, push the boys into the deep end, like even when they're like six months old. Right. So it's this kind of like behavioral thing that starts very much kind of on the playground, Mm -hmm. right? Or physically that kind of leads to this mentality where we feel so like, in many ways, women feel like if it's not going to, if I'm not going to get it hundred percent, like why bother to even try? Yeah. And boys don't feel that way. 
And do you, and you think that's conditioning and not and not uh, like biology? Could that be? A I don't. Yeah, I, I go through a chapter of this. I don't think biology has anything to do with it. I think our our brains are wired. It's so much about culture and the way mm. that we raise. You know, even if you look at block building, like I talk about this in my book, like girls will build very low, stable blocks that have like you know a story with it. Mm-hmm. My son just builds high and like kicks it all down. Yeah. And so you see these behaviors kind of like as, you know, as young as toddlers, then, you know, in middle school and then in teen, in teen years, it just kind of ramps up. Mm-hmm. And but the good news is, is I really do believe that you can unlearn some of this. And I think I'm living proof like, you know, up until I was 33 years old, I went to all the right schools. I was the good immigrant daughter. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I did everything right. And I thought that doing everything right will make me happy. And I woke up at age 33, like basically drinking a large bottle of wine, being like so depressed, yeah, you know, and like, what the hell happened? And it's funny, like when I ran for Congress and had this colossal loss, I mean, I lost, like I got 19% of the vote. I spent millions of dollars. I was humil. I didn't even come close. I was broke. And what was so crazy was like, I, it was so freeing. Cause I was like, Oh my God, like I failed and I didn't die. Yeah. Like that might sound as a guy crazy to you, but as a for me as a woman I'm like what? Like I can be brave, I can take risks and like I can survive and mm-hmm. and even better it actually like I can fail and it can lead me on this journey to creating this organization that has changed millions of lives. Like it was like a light bulb went off, right? Uh, yeah. But I think so I think everybody has that feeling. I think regardless of gender, I think every guy has that moment when they fail and they realize, oh my gosh, this is this is not the end of the world. But I think we have conditioned if to to as a corollary to what you're talking about, I think we have conditioned our our boys to go through that sooner so they're more aware of it when the stakes are a little bit higher. And that to me yeah. I think is important. And listen, I mean I've been thinking a lot about this in this new presidential you know cycle. Like there is a cost to women taking risks and failing. Mm-hmm. We're a little bit more brutal, right? Like right. in Silicon Valley, it's like, oh, you've had three failed startups, great. Where do I send my check? You know? <laughs> yeah. And and we don't really, you know, we don't do that with so so there needs to be kind of a societal shift. You know, I, I you know, and you see this really play out many ways in, in parenting. Like mm-hmm. I I hold a lot of guilt and judgment right? About Mm. myself and about being a mom and am I not spending enough time? And like, and what ultimately ends up happening is I, I, I don't feel like I'm able to be selfish enough to have time for myself. My husband does not have any of that feelings. Mm. You know what I mean? And so again, I think, I think so much of the way that we're raised shows up in our personal lives and our professional lives. And I do think that like a lot about bravery isn't like bravery uh, isn't just bravery on like the big me too stage right Mm -hmm. it's about this everyday bravery it's about like when you're in the coffee line and someone cuts in front of you like basically being like excuse me you know it's about when you're in a meeting and someone tells you to take notes speaking up for yourself you know it's about you know in being in a toxic relationship and having the bravery to walk away mm-hmm. so there's so many things that women do on an everyday basis to swallow and to silence ourselves that when we stop doing that it opens up so many doors both professionally and personally i cannot even tell you yeah i mean I, but it, it and it's i think again like i think every i think everybody goes through that i think i think just 
um, we, to your point, we've conditioned boys to be more comfortable with that, that sort of odd gut turning moment of bravery where you kind of put yourself out there and, and you do. And I also think beyond coding, like, what do you think about sports? Cause I feel like well, sports, sports are to, great for that. Especially. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's funny. I'm one of my focus groups were with all these amazing athletes. And mm-hmm. they were like, yeah, no, I don't really suffer from perfection. Like, you know what I mean? It was mm-hmm. so funny, right? Because they didn't struggle with some of these issues because right. they work through them on the field. Right. Because um, you're going to fail. Everybody that, that plays awesome. a sport fails. Like that, you're, 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 nobody's won every game. Not even, I mean, Tom Brady was like a 400 whatever draft pick. Every guy, every girl that does sports, you fail and you learn how to, how to persevere. Yeah, I was having this conversation with Venus Williams, and I was telling her about my book, and we were, I was telling her how like, like a lot of girl, a lot of women I know don't want to go to a dance class because they feel embarrassed that they're not like the number one. And she's mm-hmm. like, you know, for me, I just want to beat one person. And I was like, that's so powerful. Like that's the athlete in you, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, and 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 it's not necessarily about being the best of the best, right? It's about being better than one person, right? Right. And I, and I, okay, so um, so let's say we buy into this uh, this idea that bravery is is more, and that perfection is the problem, right? I mean, there's a an old proverb that perfect is the enemy of the good. Um, yeah. So let's say we 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 buy into that, um, and I and I understand in the parenting we need to deconstruct some of our subconscious ways that we parent people. But what what about the women out there who are in, who hear what you're saying, but have uh, maybe they're, maybe they're in college, maybe they're in their twenties, or maybe they've, you know, they've, they've gone past, how, how do they, how do you start to deconstruct that mindset as an adult as, if, without running for Congress and failing? <laughs> Look, I think it's kind of like weight loss, right? I have a couple of strategies that I talk about in the book and I think it's about practicing bravery because it's like a muscle mm-hmm. and you're going to go on and off the wagon. And so like, again, one of the strategies I talk about is like practice imperfection, like send a, semi-consequential email out with a typo in it like you may not right you may may, that may freak you out too but like do you know uh, you know like wear a dress and don't shave your legs like do something for you whatever that thing is Mm -hmm. for you that you're like oh gosh right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. do that and see what happens (laughs) you know and keep and practice that you know the second thing I I talked to you about this earlier is like getting comfortable doing things that you suck at and again for me it's surfing I'm never going to be oh, a great yeah. surfer yeah. and I don't continue to try to learn how to surf because I want to be a great surfer, but I like that feeling of like doing something I suck at. Mm-hmm. Right. And that fear. And then also that like victory, I feel that like my feet kind of almost touch the board. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so I think that that's important. You know, the other thing I talk about is like just start. And so whether you want to, you know, start a podcast or launch a company or, you know what I mean? Clean mm-hmm. your house. And mm-hmm. you're so like, uh, like, you know, you're afraid. Just take one step, clean one shelf, buy yeah. a URL. You know I mean? Tell a friend, like take one. And I did that with girls who code. I just, I bought a URL and I had taken one step too many and I was, I couldn't quit. <laughs> and Far too many of us like talk ourselves out of amazing ideas mm-hmm. because we're scared to start. And I think that's inspiring for everybody to hear and understand. You know, I, I think. Yeah. That, uh, Listen, I think this book is for men too. You know, I, I, like I, I think disagree. that there's a lot that men, because I think that, the, that we as a society, you know what I mean, are stuck in perfectionism. Mm-hmm. And we all could like learn from being a little bit more brave. Okay. Well, 
I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. First of all, uh, and as I, I, as I know your time is valuable, obviously you've got a lot of girls that need to learn how to code out there. First of all, <laughs> um, uh, what, how can people get a hold of you? Well, go to my website, uh, rushmithajani.com and go to girlswhocode.com to learn more about the work that we do. Links to both of those are going to be in the show notes. Plus, uh, I'm going to put a link to your TED Talk because I think it's it's uh, it's really important to Thank see you. sort of how you're, you kind of a, a outline a lot of the concepts of the book in the TED Talk as well as a link to the book. Uh, this is something that I, I try to ask everybody. What is one key habit that people can start doing today that you think will get them to the place that they want to be? I think it's just start, right? Yeah. Like if you have yeah. something that you have always dreamed about doing, and oftentimes I always say it's the place when other people are doing it, you feel a bit of envy. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Just start. Take one step. There you go. Take one step. Reshma Johnny, thank you so much for your time today. And uh, for all of you listening, you know, go, go learn how to code. Get your daughters to learn how to code and, and take that first step. Yeah, that was awesome. I, and I, I got to tell you something. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna listen with uh, Prima, you know, mm-hmm. uh, your your sister. But also, I really think I, I think your daughter, your seven year old, would love this. I you know, and, and I wait, wait, I referenced her a lot in that my seven year old because she embodies so much of the bravery that that um, Reshma's talking about, and and I want to get that in my five year old too. So uh, it's 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 a really tough battle, and it's a really important thing that we need to do for our girls to teach them how to be brave. And I was I was really inspired in how I approached my parenting after doing. Yeah, and speaking for all my uh, fellow grandparents out there, this is a great thing to listen to with uh, with your granddaughters. So if you like our show, first of all, share. If you know somebody that needs to hear this, share it with them. It makes a huge difference. Please rate, comment, and subscribe on iTunes, Stitchers, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also uh, follow us on social media. Facebook.com slash John Tesh is where we spend the most time. We do Facebook Lives, all kinds of videos and posts there. There's also at John Tesh on Twitter, at John Tesh underscore IFYL on Instagram. That's all John. And then if you want to follow up with me, Facebook.com slash Gib Gerard, at Gib Gerard on Instagram and Twitter. I try to respond to every shout-out for the show. Show. And if you have any suggestions for guests or things you want to hear, you let me know. I promise you I will try to respond. More importantly, thank you guys so much for listening.